Greetings and welcome to episode number 22 of the Chirping the Cats podcast. I am your host, David Dwork, here with you as always. And joining me on this episode is, uh, it's fun for me, it's awesome, because not only is my guest a former Florida Panthers goaltender and a veteran of over 800 NHL games, but, uh, well, I said it, he's also a goalie, which for me is great because I love having uh, goalie chats with guys. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Sean Burke. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, all right. So um, the first thing that I want to kind of dive into is uh, when you came to the Panthers, uh, you had just uh, spent most of your career in a really cool place, the Hartford with the Hartford Whalers, which, you know, being there for the end of that must have been a really interesting, unique experience, obviously, because maybe the team wasn't doing as well. But uh, everybody I've spoken to, including our head coach down here, Joel Quenville, has just raved about the time they spent in Hartford. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I think Hartford was one of those cities that um, was was really welcoming to its athletes. There wasn't, uh, you know, a number of major league sports teams. College basketball is really big there, but uh, the Hartford Whalers, I guess, for lack of a better term, were the were the big show in town, and fans really uh, were were um, great to the players. Uh, not only at the rink, but anytime you ran into anybody in public, they were very appreciative of of the Hartford Whaler players and. Uh, it made it a very uh, nice, enjoyable place to not only play, but to, to live and, and to raise a family. Now, before we move on from Hartford, just um, what's your memory of the very end, the last game? Because obviously it was really emotional. You talked about how uh, the connection between the fans and the team. So you know, what was that like from your being on the ice to experience that? Well, it was very surreal. Uh, there, there was not um, a real definite feeling of of what lay you know lay ahead for us obviously we knew the team was moving uh, we knew we were going to carolina by that point but there was so many uncertainties and uh when you've been in a place i was there for about five seasons and my kids uh, my oldest kids were both born there and you, you made uh, a lot of connections a lot of friends it just didn't it just didn't seem real that the team was just going to pack up and move but that was uh, the economics of the game at that time and as it, as it turned out, uh, Carolina has, has proven to be a very good hockey market and uh, the teams won a Stanley Cup. But ultimately, Hartford, uh, for those fans and the people who were loyal to that team, I really felt bad for them because they, they were invested 100% in that club. Now, after Hartford, when you came down to Florida, can you talk a little bit about just kind of what it was like coming down to Florida, which still, I mean, granted, they had been to the finals and they were a little bit more on the hockey map, but it was still such an untraditional market. And to go from a place like Hartford, after had playing in New Jersey before that, to coming to Florida, a pretty uh, interesting change-up. Yeah, very interesting. I was excited to come to Florida. I, I had been around, uh, did a little bit of work um, for CBC, a station up in Canada, uh, when, when Florida was in the finals against Colorado. So I was down uh, in Miami. I, I was around the team a little bit at that point. The excitement, obviously... For what that team did was was incredible so i you know i knew the loyalty and the and the um and the passion of the fans down there as well it, it was an interesting time for me personally i wasn't playing very well i had i had sort of gone through a really inconsistent period that year and i was looking at florida as a, a kind of a fresh start for me and i think for the most part there was there was some good times there but i never really found my game 100 percent either in florida so I think any player will tell you when you're looking back at places you played, you you seem to remember them more for how you played 
uh, everything else about it was great. The fans, the, the, the to live there, all those things were wonderful. I just didn't play as well as I would have liked to play. Well, they, they say that things happen for a reason, right? And if you hadn't have come to Florida at the end of that stretch, that inconsistent stretch you talk about, then you wouldn't have ended up in Phoenix, which you know turned your career around, really. And all of a sudden, boom, you're an all-star. You're leading the team to the playoffs. And can, you, can you describe what it was like to kind of change things up like that? Well, there's almost a little bit of a feeling of guilt in some ways because you, you just leave a team. And I had a lot of teammates in Florida that were you know not only guys – I was playing with then, but I had played with before in other places. Scott Mellenby and I are still uh, very good friends till this day. I, Ray Whitney, um, there was a number of other guys that I had played with, and I just didn't play really that well, but I knew I had more to my game. And it really took that change, as you're talking about, and, and getting somewhere else where I, I, I got with Benoit Lair, who him and I clicked at that point. He, he saw things in my game that needed work, and I was open-minded, obviously. You know, I had Billy Smith in Florida, and, and, and Billy and I worked well together, but there was just some nuances in my game that needed to be changed. And, and when Benoit got a hold of me, he was able to do that, and my, my game turned around again. But I, I always wish that I had played as well as I played in Phoenix uh, in a few other places I was. But I would have, as you say, maybe never ended up in Phoenix if that had been the case. Yeah, and you talk about the, the way that you go from a goalie coach like Billy Smith, who was very much an old school goalie coach. Like he had so much success playing, you know, that more stand up traditional style. And then you go and work with a lair out in Phoenix. And then you're learning a little bit more about the new age stuff, maybe going down in your knees a little bit more on the ice. And, and that was a big part of that transformation. Yeah, it was huge. And I give Billy a lot of credit. He, he was extremely passionate and, and really um, bought in and, and was invested in myself and and Kirk McLean was there uh, that first year, and then Trevor Kidd came in, and you know I I just I needed I needed a little different approach at that point in my career. I had lost a little bit of the understanding of what I was trying to accomplish on the ice. I was still playing much more athletic than I was um, using you know using my uh, hockey sense and those sort of things. And when I got to Benoit in, in uh, Phoenix, it just it calmed my game down. It made me uh, realize that I could play the game uh, with, with a lot less, uh, you know, being a lot less erratic and, and relying just on pure ability. And it, it really helped me and it, it saved my career in a sense that it gave me a lot more years and a number of, a number of years in the league that I don't think I would have had. And you talk about Benoit as a, as a coach, your goalie coach, who uh, had a big impact on your career. And I wanted to ask you um, in terms of head coaches, because, you know, in my experience, and just you know, for your for your knowledge, I played a few years of American Juniors, and I've been playing kind of on and off, but obviously nothing like you guys. Uh, so I've experienced a few head coaches, but you've been on countless teams. The goalie head coach relationship, it, it, I feel like it's always kind of a case by case thing, because they're always such profound personalities between a head coach or a goaltender. So are there any during your career that stand out that you had like a really good or interesting relationship with? Well, I definitely had a lot of interesting relationships, um, <laughs> as well as as well as good ones. And I, and I think that when you're you know when you're an athlete that um, plays a long time, you're going to come across a number of different personalities in the game: coaches, goalie coaches, managers, and all, all sorts of different people. And I think looking back, um, 
most of the time what it comes down to is, is just finding people that you feel have confidence in you. And of course you have to give them confidence. You have to play well. So it's, it's a two way street, but I, I felt fortunate for every coach I played for. I think I learned something from every one of them. It wasn't always easy. I didn't play well for some coaches. I played very well for others. For me, what worked best was, was just knowing that if, if the coach felt that I was going to go out and do the job, he, he sort of left me alone and, uh, and trusted that I was going to put the work in, that I was going to go out there and compete every night. And if I had a bad night, he was going to come back with me because he knew I would bounce back. And it takes some trust in a while for you to gain that. But I had that I had that in a number of places. I had it in Jersey early in my career with Jim Schoenfeld. I, I had it for sure um, with Bobby Francis in Arizona. I had it uh, in Hartford with Paul Holmgren. There were times when I didn't have it, but uh, looking back, I, I, I don't think I earned it either. And so that that's where the two-way street comes in. Yeah, I mean, you also have to wonder, like, if maybe it's a little easier on you when, you know, it's, for lack of a better term, you're not being, like, micromanaged out there and you can just kind of choose how you want to work, choose how you want to train, and just feel comfortable in your own states. Well, I think if there's one thing I've learned about myself as years have gone by, it's I, I have a certain way that I like to learn and a certain way that, that I like to approach the game and you have to be flexible sometimes that doesn't always jive with your coach. Um, so there's, there's give and take, but ultimately for me to be successful, what, what's always worked best for me is I'm, I'm very self-motivated. I never needed, I don't think anyway, uh, you know, a, a real kick in, in the butt too often. I needed more uh, just honesty. And, and I like when people are, are, uh, are, are frank and honest with me and if they expect more I want to hear it but at the end of the day uh, you know I don't think any athlete um, is going to be uh, you know not not self-motivated to want to do well himself if you need somebody kicking in the butt all the time then you then you're probably not going to reach the level that you ever want to reach and uh, as years have gone by I I realized I could have handled some situations differently but uh, but ultimately uh, you know nobody wants to perform uh, at a higher level than you do yourself. And, and I was always pretty hard on myself as an athlete. Now, these like tools and tricks that you learned and picked up as you went on and kind of added them to your toolbox, um, how much of that came into effect when you transitioned to the front office and particularly in, um, in 2018 when, when you were, well, 2017 and 2018, when you were a GM of Team Canada, particularly because at that time, no NHL players were involved. So the challenge of finding players must have been greater than what had been seen in that role for quite a while. It was a, a very, um, a very interesting challenge and one that I was very proud to take on. And, and you never take on anything like that by yourself. You have, you have people around you. I had an incredible staff with me, very experienced people, you know, Scott Salmon, who's been with hockey Canada for a long, long time was, was right there beside me on the road, scouting with me, uh, making tons of trips, we had a great coaching staff, um, but you know, ultimately, when you go into a role like that, you, you take you take a little bit of what you've learned from just about everybody, and you try to apply it. And again, you have your own way of of what, you know what you think is the best way to manage a team. And and uh, and for me, it's always been, I guess, very similar to how I liked uh, to, to be when I played. I like I like a very good environment. I like a positive sort of feeling around the game and around your team. And, and as a manager, I always try to create that. I, I still try to, you know, learn as much as I can about different ways that, uh, 
that players learn, especially now as as the generation is is different. We're we're dealing with younger players every day. Um, but for me, it, it yeah, it, it's all, you know I I work with and played for a lot of very very good people, great general managers, great coaches, and uh, and I've tried to take a little bit from all of those guys. When I was looking at the roster of the 2018 team, like a few a few really interesting names jumped out at me. Like you got some former NHL guys, like Rene Bork was on there, uh, Rob Klinkhammer, Derek Roy, uh, a couple former Panthers, and Quentin Howden and Woltek Wolski were on that team. Um, and a couple of guys are like tearing it up in the KHL right now, like Lyndon Vay and Matt Robinson, that they've had turned into successful careers overseas. So it's just interesting how when you can't choose from the cream of the crop when you know you're not just picking from NHL rosters that you can still find some really really good talent in other places that maybe guys weren't as familiar with. Yeah, and that's the incredible um, challenge of of putting a team like that together. But it also it was very rewarding. I felt that those players and we spent a lot of time. And, and as I said, we it wasn't just me. There's there's a number of people who spent a lot of time scouting, watching video, um, you know, getting getting information on players because we wanted to give everybody a fair chance. There was no clear-cut favorite guys that were going to make the team. If you're putting together an Olympic team of an NHL roster, you could name a dozen guys right off the top of your head that you know are going to be on the team. No matter how they're actually playing at that time or, or what may be going on, you just know who the best players are and, and those guys are going to make your team. So I wanted to give everybody a fair chance, and to do that, you have to see them play a lot. You have to you have to get on the road and go to Russia and places to watch them. Um, so I was very proud of the team we put together, and I was extremely proud of the way they played. If if we hadn't had a bad period and a half against Germany, we're we're playing against the Russians for the gold medal, and and looking back, that team played their best hockey at the Olympics, which I was very proud of. Now, how much did your work as a scout? At, at- I'll mention that you've been working as a scout for uh, uh, the last uh, several years now in the Montreal system. How much did that help prepare you for your role as, as a GM? Well, I hadn't really done much scouting um, officially before I took the GM role on. I I combined it uh, that Olympic year. I combined some scouting for Montreal with doing the uh, general manager duties for Team Canada. So it was a very busy year. I had a couple of years where I was, wasn't home very much. I was on the road probably 25 26 days a month for for a long time so it took a it took a toll physically i I felt that when it was all over um you really felt uh, the 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 physicality that it took on just traveling that much but again it was incredibly rewarding to watch how well those guys and not not just how well they played how appreciative they were at the opportunity the names you just mentioned there's still guys playing over in that khl that are having great careers for themselves but the highlight for these guys was a chance to play in the olympic games and represent canada uh, so the scouting for me it really came down to like i said a group effort um just basically putting in a lot of time and 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 guys at the end of the day in a, in a situation like that they make the decision themselves really by how they play leading up to the tournament how they play for you in, in other events and when you're putting that team together you're just trying to find the right chemistry now, I'm going to ask you to put your scouting hat on for just a second because uh, there's somebody you've probably seen over the last couple of years that's in the Florida Panther system right now, a goaltender by the name of Spencer Knight. Uh, what's your take on the kid? What do you think about him? 
Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know a lot about Spencer because I don't spend a lot of time. Um, my scouting role with Montreal is really focused on the pro side of things. Where I'm, I'm out west. I'm watching, I'm watching a lot of uh, the Western teams, a lot of the American League teams out west. So you know, just just to be fair, if I was to say too much about Spencer right now, I, I really would be giving you the most accurate report on him. Fair enough. I've fair heard enough. a lot of good things. I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, obviously, I read the same things everybody else reads, uh, and and follow very closely with the up and coming players and who they are, and, and and anybody any goaltenders, I like to I like to keep a little bit of a book on and get to know them. But to give you a scouting report, I'd I'd be doing you a disservice to be honest. Well, no worries. That's cool. I appreciate the honesty. But but in terms of that, uh, for from a young goalie's perspective, if you're speaking to young goaltenders, are, is there any particular advice that you give them nowadays, whether it be you know style or nutrition or study habits or anything like that? Yeah, I, I give the I guess the same advice I gave my own son, and and I give my own kids or anybody that um, that you're talking to that uh, you're trying to help out from your experience. And and the first thing is just to control what it is you can control. It's a uh, you know, it's a very, very um, interesting business, especially when you get to the level where you're making a living doing it. And at the end of the day, it really just comes down to being a consistent player that gives what you have every day and shows up, enjoys the game. That's that's another thing that I think a lot of people forget sometimes is that you have to have fun while you're doing it. You have to like it if you're going to be really good at it. Uh, but there's so many things that are out of your control. And, and at that position playing goal uh, there there's there's a lot of things that you can have a factor in a game in uh, obviously if you stop every puck um you know it makes it a lot easier to win hockey games but that's not always going to be the case and there's just so many things that you can't control some nights so you have to find a way to really have a short memory and show up every day and compete hard and uh and and really enjoy the process of it don't don't get too far ahead to worrying about winning and losing and those sort of things Put your time in every day and, and go through the process and enjoy it. And uh, and I think you can be most successful doing it that way. And one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about, uh, something that I noticed as I was kind of a teenager growing up when, when you were in your career uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, um, I, I know you always use Brian's gear for the most part, which was always kind of the coolest looking equipment. And like when you were in Hartford, you had the, the whale tail on your pads and did you put a lot of thought into that stuff or, or at the time or was it just kind of what they sent you or how, how did that work? Well, I was very lucky. I, I got with Brian's um, early in my career and, and Darren Stomp, who uh, was running Brian's for a lot of years, we became very, very good friends. We did a lot of trips to Europe together. I, I represented the company uh, in a number of different ways over the years and endorsed their equipment. And, uh, and so we spent a lot of time together, but, Really, the guys working behind the scenes at Brian's, the, the guys sewing the pads, sewing the gloves and all that, they, they were the ones that really had a lot of creative ideas and would send me something, and I'd say, yeah, that looks great. Let's go with that. So I never really spent a lot of time myself coming up with the ideas. Uh, I would endorse the ones I like and uh, had a lot of confidence in, in that company because they they were really a, a like a family-run shop. And uh, I would go to the, the factory every once in a while, at least once a summer, and just watch how hard these people worked uh, behind the scenes and, and felt really loyal to that company. And, and they did a great job for me my whole career. I, I think that um, I'm probably one one guy that uh, was with a company 
uh, for that long. Um, I'm not I'm not sure there's too many people out there, especially now wearing equipment for that long as uh, as I wore as I wore Brian's equipment. Yeah, a guy that was on the uh, the podcast not long ago who pops into my mind was John Van Beesbrook. He always wore brown stuff. So you know, but you're right. Nowadays, yeah. it's it's kind of going with whatever's the the cool trick of the trade. Yeah, and I, I just think that um, I had I had offers. You know, I I was never playing in markets that were high endorsement markets. You know, if you were playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens, you would have every company throwing different things at you to wear their equipment. Uh, obviously for the advertising uh, was, was big for those companies, but because of where I played, I, and the fact that I just was so comfortable with my equipment, it didn't really matter. I had other companies that wanted me to try stuff and I did from time to time, or I ended up wearing a piece here and a piece there, but just the overall feeling knowing that when my equipment was sent to me, it was going to show up a certain way. It was going to feel a certain way. That was really more important to me because at the end of the day, I was I was sort of making my uh, living stopping pucks, and uh, and I needed to feel good doing it on the ice. And and Brian's always always delivered for me. I never never felt that I wasn't going to get something that I wanted. Something that I noticed when you were in Phoenix. Full disclosure for those listening: back in the day, I had a couple stints in the Panthers ice crew, so I would always be sizing up the players as best I could. And I noticed when you were in town. This may have been like two thousand and one. You had four knee rolls on your leg pads, which at the time blew my mind. I didn't know that they made them with anything other than three. And so I'm thinking like, holy crap, this guy must be like a giant if he needs an extra knee roll on his pads. How did that come about? Like, did they ask you if you wanted to extend your pads or was that your idea? Or like, I'm just curious the story behind it, if there is one. Yeah, it was just basically, uh, again, um, my size, the length of my legs and just the fit for my equipment was something that I, again, always appreciated, uh, you know, from Brian's was they would come to me with ideas and say, Hey, you know, we, we noticed that, you know, your pad is fitting a certain way. Would you like to try something different? Do you think this would work? And, you know, it's hard for people out there to understand, especially when you realize how expensive goalie equipment is, but I would, I would go through probably 18 to 20 gloves a year. I would go through, um, you know, maybe two or three sets of pads was all, but I went through a lot of equipment because I, I just happen to be a guy that sweats a lot. There's a lot of wear and tear on my equipment. And, um, and so you're always trying and tinkering with different things. But for the most part, it was really small stuff. Uh, things like you're talking about, a, a little adjustment here and there. I, I had wore the same stuff for so long that um, I really had a pretty good idea what I wanted. Before I move on from the equipment, just I'm curious, because you talked about them coming to you with design concepts and anything, you remember anything that maybe was a little too extreme for the NHL that you thought like, oh, that'd be cool, but maybe best to pump the brakes, or is there anything that jumps into your mind like that? Well, I remember actually before Brian's equipment, I was wearing, when I came out of junior, I was wearing Cooper, and I, and I went to a really light, light pad, I think my second year in New Jersey, it was a very... Um, boxy type of gold pad made out of all foam and you know it's probably something that's more suited for today's game than it was back then but it really it was really awkward for me and it took me a long time to get used to I like I like the feeling at, at those days especially being able to break your equipment in to form it a little bit to the way you liked and and this stuff just wasn't um you weren't able to do that but if you look at what guys are wearing now for the most part you know, they're wearing stuff like that where it's it's very, very sturdy. It, it, it breaks down quickly, but uh, they can wear it right out of the box. And uh, in those days, it just it wasn't comfortable. So I, 
I didn't last very long and I didn't play very well with it. So it, it ended up back on the shelf. And then Brian's kind of came into the picture after that. I, I never really worried about it again. And one thing that I like to ask former players, and you never know if you're going to get uh, an interesting answer or what, but do you have any cool stories from uh, trade stories? Because uh, you never know what you're going to hear when it comes to the guys getting traded. Like Ole Jokinen, former guy that played for the Panthers for a lot of years down here, had some pretty interesting trade stories. So I always just like to check and see if uh, there was anything interesting that happened over the years. Well, there's always, yeah, there's always interesting things happen around a trade unless you're you're fully expecting it, which I, I don't think most players ever are. I I I guess I can remember when I was traded from Florida, I was, I was at the rink. It was a day off. And, um, I had my son, Brendan, who was really little at the time. I think he was maybe four or five years old. I had him down at the rink and we were playing ping pong with Pete Worrell. <laughs> if anybody remembers big, big Pete Worrell and him and I would have some really good ping pong battles. And, and Pete was one of my favorite guys that I ever played with. He was just a gentle giant of a guy, but, um, but a really, a, a really good teammate. And uh, we were playing ping pong and all of a sudden somebody said, Hey, uh, Brian Murray would like to see you upstairs. And I had a little inkling that maybe, you know, there was something in the works, but you never really know. And so I went up to his office and, uh, and, you know, he just said to me, I uh, just traded you to Arizona. And I, I don't know if he expected me to be disappointed, but I, I really was kind of excited about it because I hadn't played very well in Florida and I needed a change. So I, I thanked him. I ran back downstairs and uh, I, I finished beating Pete Worrell in ping pong <laughs> and got in my car and, and went home. And uh, that was it. I was on my way to Phoenix the next day, but uh, that's usually how it happens in trades. You, you, you're gone and, and the next day you're wearing a different uniform and you got a whole, whole new group of teammates. So your last official act as a Florida Panther was beating Pete Worrell at ping pong. That's awesome. That was it. <laughs> I don't know if I won my last. I don't know if I won my last game playing, but I know I won my last ping pong game. There it is. That's the stuff you take with you. The last thing that kind of goes a perfect segue into the last thing I wanted to ask you about because I've heard that as a goaltender, sometimes we can be. You know, we have a reputation of being like maybe introverts or or just a little quirky. But from what I've been told, you were a very normal, outgoing guy, kind of around the boys a lot, just like, uh, you know, one of the guys. Um, so in that respect, um, are there any teammates or, or maybe goalie tandem teammates that that uh, stand out to you from throughout your career? Well, I was really lucky. I, I played with uh, so many different guys over my career, guys who were number one goalies themselves at times, guys who were great backups, guys who supported me in that role really really well so I I never really I I couldn't name one or two I mean I could name a lot I I I can go way back right into my jersey days with Craig Billington and Chris Terreri and Bob Solvay and and then in Hartford Jeff Reese and Jason Luzzatti and you know I so many guys Hextall in Philadelphia and and in in Florida Trevor Kidd who I also played with Trevor Kidd in Hartford or no sorry in Carolina and and with the Canadian national team, Trevor Kidd and I were, were partners in three different teams, and um, and I had Kirk McLean, and and so it, it it just went on and on. Robert Esch was a great partner for me in uh, Chico. Arizona. I, I, I yeah, I played in a couple All Star games with Chico as as my partner, and uh, and he was such a supportive guy as was Bob Asenza. And I again, I could go on and on. I I don't think I could name you one guy that I ever didn't enjoy playing with. I, I think there were guys that you know, we're, we're in a situation themselves where they didn't necessarily like their role. So there was always that competitiveness, but, uh, that, that's part of playing goalie. Only one guy can play a night and, uh, 
and somebody's probably not going to be happy all the time. But the way you handle it and, and the professionalism of the guys I always played with, uh, I, I, I have a lot of respect. And Brian Boucher and and, uh, and people like that, who I was there when Brian Boucher had five shutouts in a row, and I ended up getting traded the next week. It was it was hard for me, uh, but you know Brian Boucher was so supportive of me when I was playing. Uh, that I was really happy for him, and it was it was a great uh, a great record that may never be broken. Uh, but those are things you remember, and you just remember how um, you know those guys are your teammates, and and you know how hard it is when they're playing. So you have to respect that and appreciate that. And it's an especially amazing statement to say that you really didn't have anybody from throughout your career that you could you know not speak kindly of, considering there's only 14 goalies in the world that played more games in the NHL than you did. So that's pretty remarkable. And it, I think it also maybe says a little something about the kind of person you are, that you can be just a very positive and kind person. I was just going to say, I was lucky because early on in my career, um, I got I got the opportunity to play with some guys, not just in the NHL, but but along the way with Team Canada. I got to play with Andy Mogue in, in 1988 Olympics, who had already been in the NHL for a number of years. And now... He was he was holding out in Edmonton and came back and played with the national team. So he was he was an established NHL goaltender, and I was a, a 19 year old punk. And, and the way he treated me and the respect he had for me um, just showed me the way it was to be a pro. And so I, I had a chance to play with Grant at the World Championships and, and lots of guys over the years. That um, it, it was a great a great way to learn, and, and I tried to take that into what I what I was giving out when I played and and it just uh it's it's a great thing about our game it's the, it's the things that are passed down to you from certain players and you have a responsibility yourself as a player uh to do those things as well and I, and I think it really is is probably the unsung thing about our game uh, hockey is is the, the the dynamics of that your teammates and and uh and and your competition and all those things but but the respect that everybody has for each other yeah, it's really paying it forward is such a big part of it, and, you, and it's uh, something that you hear from a lot of guys, and the fact that you kind of take that seriously, and you're able to do it now with your current roles, it, it's pretty awesome. So, you know, that, that it's a pretty cool thing that really you're able to take your career and kind of make it come full circle like that. Yeah, I appreciate it, and again, I don't think he, a day goes by that um, it's been a number of years now since I played the game. But all those lessons you learn and all those things you, you you pick up along the way, you can keep in the game no matter what role you have and uh, and pass those on. And I think that we see that uh, we see that right through the generations of hockey, from from the Gordy Howes down to the Wayne Gretzky's, and then the Mary Lemieux down to the Sidney Crosby's, and those kind of things. And that stuff gets passed on from from the you know the greats in our game, and uh, and, and it continues to uh, it continues to fuel our game as it moves forward. And it's such it's such a big part of um, of the NHL and why it, you know why it's the best league in the world. Couldn't agree with you more, uh, Sean. I, I don't want to take up any more of your time, brother, because this has been just amazing. I could I could bite your ear off all day and talk about this stuff, but thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today because I know this kind of happened on a whim. So again, another great example of uh, you kind of paying it forward, man. So thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Well, my, my pleasure anytime. Please say hi to Bill Lindsay. And, and if you see Denny Potvin down there, please say hi to him. Denny Potvin and I spent some time playing 
uh, racquetball when I was down there, and he used to kick my butt in racquetball. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, hopefully, I will. Right now, it's a little it's a little flimsy because of, you know everything going on with the virus and everything. Like, hopefully, we'll all be back at rinks uh, in the not too distant future. But uh, but I'll certainly pass the message along. And so, thank you again, Sean. And uh, I'm gonna say thank you to everybody listening to this episode of Chirping the Cats. Uh, as always, you can subscribe, you can like it, you can hit me up on Twitter at David's Work and let me know what you think. And so until the next episode, thank you again for listening. Please stay home, stay safe, follow the safety guidelines, and uh, we will see you next time. Take care, everyone.